Anyone living in rural Pennsylvania knows that access to quality health care can be challenging. Recently, I spoke with Lisa Davis, the director of the Pennsylvania Office of Rural Health, about why it is sometimes difficult to deliver health care in rural areas. She also gave suggestions about how Farm Bureau and our members can help with creating healthy communities. So my name is Lisa Davis, and I'm the director of the Pennsylvania Office of Rural Health. We are one of 50 state offices of rural health in the country that are federally funded through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services out of the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy to be a source of coordination, technical assistance, and networking to increase access to healthcare services in rural areas and increase the health status of rural Pennsylvanians. Um, I'm also a faculty member in Penn State's Department of Health Policy and Administration, so I'm an outreach professor of HPA. My office is one of 10 10 state offices of rural health across the country that is based at a university. So even though we happen to be based at Penn State, which is the land-grant institution for Pennsylvania, uh, we, are, we serve the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and also are connected nationally to rural health efforts. So I don't do research specifically. Um, our office runs a number of programs that serve small rural hospitals and rural health clinics in the state. We also participate across the state and nationally on boards of directors and task forces um, at the local, state, and national levels to advocate for rural health. And we also work within communities to advance rural health. So we are involved in just about every aspect of rural health, whether it's um, from working in communities with hospitals and clinics to develop programs that best serve their populations, to compiling, analyzing, and disseminating information on rural health policy, legislation, and regulation to clinics and rural health clinics and others that are serving rural populations, and in general, supporting any activities in the state, either from the state level, from a regional level, or from a community level that are advancing access to healthcare services in rural areas. Great. Um, I, I think in a, in a lot of cases, people probably are surprised at how much of Pennsylvania is actually considered rural. When you think of our two major urban centers and obviously you know, cities spread throughout, can you give me a sense of, you know, how much of Pennsylvania is really considered to be rural? Well, that is a great question. And up until the 2000 census, Pennsylvania was actually considered to be the most rural state in the nation. We had about 3.5 million residents in the state that were living in areas that were federally designated as rural. After the 2000 census, the census had developed a new typology for defining what was considered to be non-metropolitan and metropolitan, and they snuck in an interim designation called micropolitan, so that many of the areas in the state that would have become non-metropolitan were actually in that micropolitan category. So we slipped to number six in, this, in the country, although we still consider ourselves to be number one. 
So when you look at Pennsylvania overall, we have 67 counties. 48 of our counties are considered to be predominantly rural. And 23% of the state's population lives in areas that are federally designated as rural. So if you look at Pennsylvania on a map, you know that we do have our metropolitan areas of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, which sort of anchor the southwest and the southeastern parts of the state. We also have the capital region where Harrisburg is located and going up through Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, Allentown, Bethlehem, and those areas are considered to be urban. The rest of the state, what we call the rural J, is absolutely rural. That is going along the northern border against the New York state line, coming down through the central part of the state, and then curling up underneath Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is located. So we are, in fact, a very rural state. Um, I almost kind of want to divide this into, you know, pre and post pandemic, but um, what was the status of rural health care before this pandemic? There have been a couple of issues that have been pervasive in accessing health care in rural areas. And this has been, these have been pervasive issues in the 25 years that I've been working in rural health. We really categorize that under the framework of access, that is access to healthcare providers, access to payment mechanisms for healthcare, and access to transportation. So when we look at Pennsylvania and we look at providers, only two-thirds of primary care physicians practice in rural areas in Pennsylvania. And we have a number of medical schools that are terrific at exporting physicians and also keeping physicians within urban areas. So access to primary care providers has, has continued to be a pervasive issue in the state. We also look at rural health care facilities. When we look at small rural hospitals, they are geographically isolated. They are small, some of them as small as 12 beds, and they serve very high-risk populations, those that have um, a myriad of chronic diseases that are either un- or underinsured, tend to be older and poorer than their urban counterparts. So we're looking at facilities that serve high numbers of patients who are on Medicare, which is the federal program for individuals who are 65 and older, who are disabled, and who are um, going through renal dialysis. Also, Medicaid populations, and Medicaid is a federal state program that serves low-income individuals who qualify for the Medicaid program, and they also serve high numbers of uninsured patients, meaning that as, um, as not-for-profit hospitals, they are required to serve individuals who cannot pay for their health care, so that would be considered to be uncompensated care. Then we also have this issue of transportation. If anyone has traveled around rural Pennsylvania, they know that we have long stretches of road that are often um, impassable in the wintertime, that may be um, in need of upgrade, 
and that are going through mountainous terrain or traversing through long stretches where there are no other services. And we also are seeing uh, areas in the state that have no access to public transportation. If you live in more urban areas, chances are you have very good access to public transportation systems. That is not the case in rural communities. There are several counties in the state that do have public transportation systems, and those are terrific, but they don't serve all areas of their county. So those are some of the main issues that we see across the state. And we look at hospitals that generally are are working to just be able to maintain their financial status, or they may be working in the red. There are very few small rural hospitals in the state that are in the black and that have um, good reserves in place. Yeah, that, that sounds like a like a myriad of, uh, of circumstances. So, so let me ask you, why is it that there are more uninsured individuals in rural areas than, than urban? Well, when you look at um, at at urban air at rural areas, and you look at the um, the economic base in any rural community, the three top employers are healthcare, government, and the educational system. We are looking at areas that have um, high concentrations of agricultural production farming, mining, and quarrying. And those, those, um, uh, uh, air, those sectors do provide health insurance, not necessarily farming, but mining, quarrying, and so on. But they may not be in operation for all 12 months of the year. So if they're offering health insurance benefits to their employees, those employees are not insured throughout the full 12 months, and they may not have comprehensive health care services and benefits that are offered to them, and they may not also offer health insurance benefits to dependents like spouses and children and so on. When we look at the farming community, it is challenging, as you know, from a Farm Bureau perspective, it is challenging for farmers to carry their own health insurance. And very often, they will have someone who, who, like a spouse, for instance, who is working off the farm in order to be able to have health insurance benefits. Again, those benefits may not be comprehensive. They may have high deductibles, meaning that um, they may only cover catastrophic health care so that the, the individual may be responsible for $5,000 worth of cost before the health insurance plan kicks in, or they may have high co-pays, meaning that there are services that are covered, but the out-of-pocket expenses from the insurance person are high, making it um, prohibitive to access those services. We also look at small employers. Those are the bulk of employers in rural communities. And those small employers struggle to be able to provide health insurance benefits for their employees, even though they know that they need to, should 
and also want to provide those health insurance benefits, they are very expensive to provide. So again, those insurance benefits that they are providing may in fact be um, expensive and they may not be comprehensive and they also may not provide insurance benefits for dependents. Has this COVID crisis exacerbated uh, what was already a fragile rural healthcare system? Yes, it absolutely has. Now, the the sort of a little bit of the silver lining to this is that there were several issues that um, that became quite apparent as we were working to address COVID nineteen. One was that the issues that rural health advocates have been uh, talking about for the last two and a half or three decades really became apparent, and that is we don't have enough providers. We need to make sure that the Medicare and Medicaid systems are reimbursing at a level that actually covers the cost of providing that care. And also, it highlighted the importance of telemedicine and telehealth because that was a way to be able to deliver care safely and accurately to patients who were either coming to a clinic if that clinic was open or if they were able to receive that care in their home, they could connect remotely with their provider. What that really demonstrated was that telemedicine, which has been uh, considered to be quite a benefit, but with questions about its efficacy and also its financial um, uh, efficacy, came came under intense scrutiny. And what we found was that telemedicine works. It is not a panacea for every issue of access to healthcare, but it certainly is a great way to be able to provide healthcare services remotely and to be able to treat patients where in their homes. The other is that we started then being able to see that um, reimbursement through Medicare was essential to being able to provide these services and that a full complement of healthcare services being reimbursed through Medicare was absolutely essential to make sure that that service could uh, be fully utilized. The other issue that came up was that not all areas in the country and certainly not all areas in Pennsylvania have access to the infrastructure needed to be able to have brought, uh, to be able to have telehealth across um, all geographic areas of the state, that we do need broadband infrastructure in all areas of Pennsylvania in order to be able to use not only telehealth services, but also for individuals to be able to connect remotely to their employers, for students to be able to connect remotely to do their learning, so that this was not just a healthcare issue, but also an education and economic development issue. Yeah, broadband has definitely been one of those one of those topics that's been on our radar screen for a number of years, but uh, really was brought into sharp focus due to this due to this crisis. Um, getting back to telehealth real quick, um, do you have a sense of how broadly available that is with in Pennsylvania? I mean, irrespective of connectivity. 
on the patient end, but more at the provider level, how, how widespread that is? It is fairly widespread, um, and and there are a number of funding opportunities that have come out from the federal government to be able to support implementation of telehealth, being able to um, uh, purchase the equipment, and then to be able to establish the relationship between, say, for instance, the uh, rural hospital and a tertiary care facility to be able to provide that kind of care, to also be able to support the uh, technology that's needed in the patient's home for what's called remote patient monitoring. So for instance, if someone has been discharged from the hospital and they need to, uh, for instance, be able to have their blood pressure checked regularly or be able to um, send other kinds of test results, they can do that from their own home if they have the equipment available, which then would um, uh, preclude the need for a, um, uh, to a home health nurse, for instance, to be able to need to travel out to their facility so that their physician or a nurse practitioner or another clinician could monitor that patient. So it has tremendous promise for being able to really extend healthcare out to communities. And as an example, I just used telehealth last week with a child who was home who was very, very sick with mononucleosis, and we were able to connect by telehealth to our nurse practitioner, and she was able to prescribe the medication that we needed rather than my having to bundle my kid up and take her out and um, potentially expose her to anything or to expose anyone to the issues that she was facing. So telehealth has tremendous benefit. Going forward, uh, what do we need to do on the policy side of things, either at the state or the federal level, to just improve rural health care in general in Pennsylvania? Well, there, the, the, I'll go back to the three issues of access, so the providers, the payment, and the transportation. We absolutely need to put in place rural training tracks within um, clinical training programs, not just physician uh, training programs, but also nurse practitioner, physician assistant, dental, and all of the other types of healthcare providers. There is a rural training track initiative across the country, and there have been grants received in Pennsylvania to establish rural training tracks. That funding needs to be expanded. We also need to integrate into all clinical training programs rural rotations so that students, as they are going through their, uh, their training programs and their rotations, have access to very positive experiences in rural communities, which would increase the likelihood that they might practice there. We also need to increase the amount of loan repayment funding that is available to both sites and to students to be, who, are who are graduating and now beginning their careers 
to practice in rural and other medically underserved areas because that has proved to be a tremendous benefit. We also need to increase the reimbursement through Medicare and Medicaid for health services so that they are actually meeting the needs of the facilities that are providing the care. So they are reimbursing at a level where the facility is at least breaking even in the um, funding that they are getting from those services. Pennsylvania was very fortunate that we were a state that did expand Medicaid. And we saw an, about, um, I don't want to give the actual number because I'm not entirely sure specifically what it is, but we saw a significant number of individuals in the state who were previously ineligible for Medicaid become insured through the Medicaid program. That not only benefits the facilities, but it also benefits the uh, the patient because they are beginning now to get the care that they need, which in the long run costs less to the healthcare system because they're getting care when they need rather than showing up at the emergency room for an acute issue or for a, 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 a sore throat or something that could be treated much less, much less expensively at a primary care clinic. The other is that we need to increase funding for public transportation across the state so that rural communities can begin to implement public transportation systems that really do serve the entire county. We also need to be thinking about policies that have integrated into them a rural analysis component so that there is an assessment that is done to see what the impact is on rural communities and rural health care. Obviously, an organization like us uh, is 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 pretty is pretty proud of rural Pennsylvania, and we see the benefits of it, and just the uh, the the great things that happen in, in rural Pennsylvania. But what is the difficulty in attracting, uh, you know, physicians and other medical professionals uh, into these communities? That is a great question. Um, I can tell you that with all the studies that have been done and all of the research that's been conducted. The greatest predictor of whether a medical student will choose to practice in a rural area is whether or not they have come from a rural community. So there are a number of programs in the state. There's actually a program called the Area Health Education Center Program, which works across the state with academic medical centers to bring students out to rural communities and also to recruit students from rural communities to go into health professions. And they start as young as kids who are in elementary school, working with them to try and get them excited about it. But the challenge with recruiting and retaining in rural communities is that it's very different from being in an urban community. It's very different from the academic medical center where they trained. The, the, um, they don't have access to all of the high-tech services. They do not necessarily have access to the, um, the, the, 
the other providers who they might go to for consultation, which is another reason why telemedicine is so important. Um, they may not make as much money in a rural community as they do in an urban area. They may not have access to all of the amenities that an urban area offers in terms of culture and restaurants and so on. They may be married to another physician or another practitioner who also wants to be in an urban area. So it is a special sort of person who wants to practice in a rural community. Um, what we find is that nurse practitioners and physician assistants are much more likely to want to practice in a rural or medically underserved area than do primary care physicians. The other issue that we see in medical school is that students may select primary care or internal medicine as their area of interest when they come in, but they get excited when they, they do their rotations, their surgical rotations, or their oncology, or their um, gynecological rotations, because they are seeing that their, the, the work might be more exciting and their ability to be able to have a higher salary after graduation and throughout their career might be higher if they're looking at, for instance, orthopedics or oncology or, or other types of, of specialties. So our organization, along with obviously having a, you know, a vested interest in the health of agriculture, also has a, a vested interest in the health of rural communities because you know, agriculture by and large takes place in those rural communities. What could we do organizationally to help on these issues of improving health access uh, in those communities? Well, I would say that um, the Farm Bureau overall could seek to partner with the small rural hospitals in those communities to see what sorts of supports you could provide if there are collaborative projects that you could work on that would address some of the main issues that we see in rural communities, such as um, uh, access to um, to nutritious foods, being able to set up, um, uh, I know that there are farmers markets and things like that, but those are not um, normally 12 months out of the year. Being able to have um, supermarkets and grocery stores and such in rural communities. Um, also, to work with the agricultural community on implementing um, programs that reduce um, obesity um, and diabetes and um, heart disease, which are some of the major chronic diseases that we see in communities. Oh, those are all those are all great suggestions. Those are the questions I had. Did did I forget to ask you anything, or are there things you want to add? No, I think we've covered everything. It's been great. I hope that it's been helpful. Yes, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode of Farm Focus, please subscribe. More episodes are on the way, and all of our past episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Podbean at pfbcast.podbean.com. Thanks for listening.